hello, welcome to the Women in Big Data Brussels and Berlin podcast, where we talk about big data, analytics and career topics. We do this to connect, engage, grow and champion the success of women in big data. There's a book I'm going to recommend from a friend of mine and Joanna Bloor. It's called The Cinderella Story. It's about the fact that women don't look at their potential. They look at their achievements. So you go to school, you get a degree, you go take something, you get a certificate. You look at all of these experiences and you put your worth based on your experience. When what Joanna says is you should be putting your worth based on your potential. What you can be tomorrow, not what you are today. In this episode, Valerie and I talk about women and data leadership with Teresa Kushner, partner in business data leadership and board member of Women in Big Data. Let's start. Teresa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. You're welcome. Teresa, what is data leadership and what are the main challenges that women face in this field? I think data leadership means using data to manage business more effectively. That's what we mean by data leadership. Data is at the heart of everything we do, or if it isn't, it should be. Without clean, up-to-date data, we're making decisions that could hurt our businesses as well as ourselves personally. So data leadership really means being responsible for data in all its forms, wherever it's encountered in your day-to-day work and even in your personal life. As AI becomes more prevalent, we have to be more vigilant about the data we give and that data that's made available to AI algorithms. Sometimes we get the choice to make those choices as to whether we give it or not, and sometimes we don't. So we need to be aware of what's out there. Okay, I can understand. And then if we look at women in this field, what are their main challenges related to data leadership? I've been in the data management field for a long time. It feels like my first data experience was on stone tablets, but I'm (laughs) exaggerating just a little. What I have discovered over the years is that most businesses take for granted the data that they have. My example for my first real data experience came in Europe with IBM, where I was trying to market to small and medium business customers in All the countries were around Europe, and there was no data to support our mailings. It was that long ago we were still doing mailings. What I discovered is that the data that was necessary was only for billing and shipping. That was what IBM wanted to do. They didn't want the information about the customer, who we sold to, what they were doing, any of the things that would help us create that relationship. So there wasn't a consolidated, coordinated effort to secure that data for marketing or analytic purposes. So over the years, I've held several positions that built upon that requirement. Most companies nowadays know that their data is important, but they're really not taking care of it in the way that you would think they should be. They know it's important. They love the business intelligence reports that they get. They love the analytics they can do, but they're not always sure about why they're spending millions of dollars to invest in data quality on a daily basis. Over the years, what I've learned from those positions is that 
you can help companies gather their data, but you have to help them use it if you want to have an advantage. Data leadership doesn't mean you just clean it and secure it. It means you use it. And without that use, you as a data quality person are an expense. My experience in the field that women are extremely good at details, which are associated with managing data. That's why women in the data field are fairly prevalent. They're not as prominent as I would like them to be. We create the minions that do a lot of the work instead of the leadership that makes the decisions about it. And I would like to see us do more of that, which leads to some of the best practices and common mistakes. I would say to the women listening that the one thing to do is not to get stuck in the data quality groups. It's too easy to do that. Make sure that you use that as a step on your career ladder, not your destination. Unless you have the goal of becoming the VP of data quality, don't look at that as something that you're going to stick to. Learn as much about how to use the data as you learn about the data itself. That means some areas of the business succeed and others don't. And you use the data to explain that success. That's important. Every one of us have to be storytellers. We have to sharpen our storytelling skills. People remember stories, not data and facts. The one story I love to tell about data quality, I was at Cisco for two weeks when the big Cisco event, the Cisco Expo for their customers and partners was scheduled. And the marketing team had, before I got there, mailed out a thousand invitations to our partners and customers. I got the call at 10 o'clock in the morning from the CMO, and she wanted to see me in her office. She passed across the desk to me a letter that had been addressed to one of our customers, who was the president of her own company. And in the middle of the address, very clearly, was an expletive. Okay? What was really interesting about this is that our quality process took that word out of the database when it was in its singular form. But this particular one had it in a plural form. And so it went out to the customer. So data quality at that point in time became a very prime objective for our data quality team. Get that right. So that we do not alienate our customers. She was understanding, but it took lots of talking to make sure she understood what we were doing. And then finally, I would say one of the things women need to keep doing, which I think women are good at for the most part, is they need to keep learning. Technology and data change at an incredible pace. What you fix today will break tomorrow. So you need to have some processes in place that keep you learning about what the next new thing is. So actually what you're saying, keep learning, that is really important. Don't stay in the data quality team. And then I'm wondering, how do women end up in that mindset that they don't always take the right steps to be in the data leadership? How is that possible? There are tons of things. When women first get their first job offer, this is a proven fact, they will settle for the first one that they get. They won't negotiate. They'll just take whatever gets offered to them. And usually, that first offer is slightly lower than their male counterparts. Well, that's not a problem to begin with because it's usually slightly. But over the years, 
as you advance, that gap gets wider and wider. And so I don't think that women are good about two things. One is advocating for themselves as to what they need from a position and a monetary return. And the second is advocating for other women. I will tell you in my experience has been that the worst opponents of women in business are other women. We need to be sort of tied together in a sisterhood that says we're going to help others get there. We can't not help. We have got to help people be what they can be. And I mentor a lot of women and I hear this a lot. Well, I don't have all of the skills. Here's this job that I'm supposed to be taking and I'd like to apply for, but I don't have that skill. A guy looks at that same thing. And if he has three of the things listed, he's going to apply. Okay. We have got to get used to taking all of the things that we do and applying them to every job we have and highlighting skills that people, at least employers today, are looking for. And they're looking for soft skills. They're looking for the skills that women are good at, at understanding, at listening, at being empathetic. They're looking for those skills. So how do you apply what you know about data with those skills and get the right jobs in the right places and advocate for yourself. There's a book I'm going to recommend from a friend of mine named Joanna Bloor. It's called The Cinderella Story. It's about the fact that women don't look at their potential. They look at their achievements. So you go to school, you get a degree, you go take something, you get a certificate. You look at all of these experiences and you put your worth based on your experience. When what Joanna says is you should be putting your worth based on your potential, what you can be tomorrow, not what you are today. And I think that's a really important message for women because we don't do that very well. We look at, okay, well, I've got all this stuff. I graduated with highest honors. I've done all of these things and now I'm ready to go. And nobody really cares. They care more about what you're going to do for them in the future. It's about mindset. And that brings me back to what you are saying, Teresa, storytelling. When you tell a good story, you also start with where am I and where do I want to be? And then your story is you tell your part from here to there. It's so hard to write our own story. You can write them for anybody else, but writing them for ourselves is really, really tough. But you can interview each other. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. That's a very good point. Okay. Well, you already informed us what is data leadership, some challenges that women face in this field. What was your first data leadership job? And where was it? Oh, my first data leadership job, I didn't even know it was a data leadership job until I got into it, was in Europe when I was in marketing. I was in marketing. Why do I need to know about data? I just go to someplace, they get it. Somebody's got to have it for me. So I didn't realize that was such a big deal until I went into the market intelligence team and we started looking at what the market, the total available market was, and that was data, and we didn't have it. Or we started looking for what our representation was in that market. So we had to compare what we were selling to what the market was. All of a sudden, it was a lot of information that had to be processed in some way. I didn't come at this from the IT side. 
I've always worked for the business. And I think that what happens when you get stuck in the IT world is that they tend to look at you from an IT perspective. Okay, so you're a programmer or you want to do this. In fact, you'll love this story. Not too long ago, I was doing my website and I went to ChatGTP and I asked ChatGPT to put together a little paragraph for me. It got most of it right, but it said one important thing. It said, I started my career as a software programmer. Oh, dip. Not true. (laughs) And I thought it inferred. It basically inferred that someone who ends up with this kind of experience has got to have started from a programming perspective. And it was wrong. So I think that there are lots of ways to come at this, but a lot of things that people need to remember about data is that it's business first. Okay. IT and the technology side takes care of it and IT generates it and processes are put in place to manage the IT. But the data itself is a business asset. And quite frankly, we've got a lot of people nowadays who are looking at how they can make data a product so that it can be sold and managed and created across the world. I mean, data is the most important thing we have. I love the statistic from 19, I think it's 1970 to 2020, the number of companies reporting soft assets in their business statements grew exponentially. You know, in the 70s, we were only looking at assets as hard things that were manufactured. Now, data is a soft asset. Google is valued only on the data that it has, not on its machinery or anything else. It's just what they have in resources from an information perspective. Yes, and that brings me to the dataleaders.org website. I understood you are a partner of this organization. On the website, you also find the Leaders Data Manifesto, which also emphasizes that data is an asset. It should be on your balance sheet. So what inspired you to partner up with this organization? And what is this manifesto? Kind of interesting is that it started with a couple of people like Danette McGilvray and Laura Sebastian Coleman and Tom Redman and John Ladley, all of which are sort of names in the business. And there are a couple of them from Europe. Dara O'Brien from Ireland is one of the people. And then we have James Price from Australia. So it's a worldwide organization. These people got together and said, nobody out there is looking at data as an asset. And that's a problem. Because if they don't, we won't spend the time and money to manage it effectively. So they created the manifesto. And then what we've been trying to do over the last couple of years is get people engaged with the manifesto, sign it, talk about it within your organization, and help people understand that this is what you have to do in order to move businesses forward. It's been sort of an interesting journey in that what we do is is we are a not-for-profit organization. We don't have any dues. There's no membership. You sign the manifesto, and then you come to our meetings, and we take on projects. The first project I took on when I joined was to create an AI readiness test. Were you ready in your organization to actually apply AI to your data? Had a lot of data questions in that. So we created that checklist, but we also have a root cause analysis, a sort of a framework that you can use for determining where the problem is in your data. And there's also a data literacy. We've been talking about data literacy. You can't 
manage data in an organization if no one knows what it is. It's like managing an organization that can't speak English or can't speak the language where you are. You've got to be able to talk about it. And these meetings, they are accessible for everyone who signed the manifesto? Yes. Because I already saw there are more than a thousand people who signed this manifesto. Right, right. We don't have a thousand people show up every other week, but <laughs> we do just constantly make it. I love there's a video online about movements, how to create a movement. It's a great video because it shows a park where there's a whole bunch of people and one guy is dancing in the park and nobody else is dancing. And you're going, oh, that guy looks really stupid. And then the second person joins him. And the minute the second person joins him in dancing, it becomes a big deal. So what we've learned in creating a movement, it's not the first person that makes the first move. It's the second person that joins that makes the movement. So what I'm encouraging people to do is to join us because we have a lot of things that we do. We've looked at chat GTP. We've looked at the generative AI things. We are looking at what kinds of tools we can create. We do articles. We do all kinds of things. And we all do it for free so that we can get everybody else interested. Okay. And I understood the manifesto has three sections. Yes, it has three sections to it. You know, what it is, what we intend for you to do, and then the signatory state. It's very well laid out. And it has been translated into over 20 different languages. You don't have to read it in English. You can read it in your own language, which is helpful too. And it's also not 300 pages, eh? No, it's one page. So very easy for the listeners to go to dataleaders.org, sign the manifesto, join the meetings, discuss it within your organization. Yeah, what's really cool is that we just created this website where when you sign it, you can see all the other people that have signed and their comments. It's really cool. Well, thanks for that. So for all the listeners, dataleaders.org. Thank you. Okay. And then the future of women in data leadership. What changes do you hope to see in the future in this industry, uh, Teresa? I think women are fairly prevalent and I see more and more female CIOs. I see more and more female chief data officers, but they're still not prominent. They're still not the people who are speaking for the industry or for the profession. There are few, but not a lot. And I would like to see us do more of that. The other thing is, is that artificial intelligence is going to take over a lot. What we're going to see is we're going to see how important data is to some of these algorithms because the AI algorithms will eat that data they will chew it up and you won't know what happened. You won't know why all of a sudden that algorithm went astray. It maybe got the wrong piece of data or more importantly, one of the things that the security people are worried about is tainting the well of the data that you do have. If someone really wants to corrupt you, if you have a great algorithm, they feed your data source with bad data, and then it just goes crazy. So I know the security people are looking at that. I think that we're going to have to become, I know this is a strange thing to say, but we're going to have to become like 
Wonder Woman. You know, we're going to have to make sure we cross our wrist and and say to people, okay, tell me the truth about what your data is and how it is. We're going to have to become more outspoken about the data that we use. And really, we need to lead the way in change. One of the things that I've seen is that women change because women have to. I know men do too, but men get in their lanes and they stay in their lanes. They're not flexible. Women have to be flexible simply because, look at what, they have to manage their families, they have to manage their work, they have to manage a lot of different things. And we've learned to do that so well that I think now is the time to apply that skill to business and especially to data, to manage it in ways we've not seen before and to change with the environment, the way the environment is going to require us to change. Yes. And also that you can do it within the office hours. Yes, absolutely. It is possible. I'm not sure we think it is all the time. That is one of the things that I think your generation is much better at. You're much better at saying, this is all I'm going to give. I need to separate what I give today in this place from what I need to give to my family and my friends. Indeed. And Teresa, you're also supporting women to be in data leadership within Women in Big Data. I am. And it's a really important organization to me because it is a collection of women that are very interested in what we do with data and how we manage it. We need to support those women. I participated personally in the mentorship program this summer. I have a couple of mentees as a result of that. I think what we'd like to do is create more programs where women can exercise. It's good to practice what we talk about. So if we could practice job interviews, for example, we might learn things that we haven't learned before. If we could practice how to make a point about data quality in a budget meeting, maybe we would have opportunities for our women that would be broader than they are today. So I'm at the point where I want to make sure that every woman who's in data leadership gets the opportunity to get the help they need to lead. So this will be a specific new program? I'm not sure we have yet decided how we're going to make that work, but we're looking at it. I would like to recommend to you, though, a couple of books that I think are important. And I have to tell you about Dr. Snee. Dr. Snee was a nun who left the sisterhood and became a corporate counselor. And she guided women. And she went to Stanford and she got a degree in women's studies. And she recently wrote a book called Lead, How Women in Charge Claim Their Authority. It's one designed for people who are in leadership positions or looking to go into leadership positions. It's a really important book. She tells a lot of stories about how to make sure that you have it right within yourself before you make changes. And then the one I mentioned about Joanna Bloor is called Tales of Potential, the Cinderella story you haven't heard. And it's kind of a fun story in that she talks about what you can do with the potential and how you describe your potential. She has a line that is my favorite all-time line. Every decision about your career is made in a room where you are not present. Every decision about your career is made in a room where you are not present. Think about that. That's a really hard thing for women to grasp. That means you've got to have sponsors. 
You may not know you have sponsors. You've got to have people who are supporting you that you may not even realize are. So there's a whole infrastructure around women getting into the right places that we probably need to spend more time with. And then, you know, there's some books out there on data quality management that my two friends have just recently written. Both Danette McGilvray and Laura Sebastian Coleman have written books on data quality within the last year. And they are Bibles for people who are looking to manage data. Okay, great. I will make sure to put some links in the show notes of the podcast. And also for women who want to record themselves, for instance, if you are practicing a job interview or how you respond to a question, there's also an app. It's called Poise and it records yourself, but you also get feedback on your screen about your tone, about your pace, etc. So I would also recommend to use that. We are coming already to the end of the podcast, but Teresa, is there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't ask you yet? What I'm presently doing is that I have my own business called Business Data Leadership, which is exactly what you were talking about, helping people to understand where their problems are before they go attack it. We don't do that often. We think of the one thing that looks like it's the problem when it may not be. So it's always amazing to me how we spend millions of dollars against one thing that's not the real reason that our data is not working or that our organizations are failing. One of the things that I think is really important, and women don't think about this a lot, is that when you go in and you have your review, if we're with a, a company and you have a review with your manager and you don't get the raise you want, the other thing that you should be asking for is an assignment that stretches your capabilities. And oftentimes women don't ask for those. So ask for the raises, ask for the assignments. That's what gets you ahead in the world. That's really good advice, Teresa. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Women in Big Data Brussels and Berlin podcast. For more information and episodes, subscribe to the show or contact us via datawomen at protomail.com. That is datawomen at protomail.com. Tune in next time.